Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. For many of us, TV and movies were another parent, raising us and shaping how we see the world. Those imaginary worlds were constructs that taught us behavior and societal norms, constructs that were largely whitewashed and heteronormative. For a new generation of storytellers, it's a fine balance in embracing those things that shape us and recognizing that they can also hurt us. Filmmaker Samantha Pistano-Markey examines this in their autobiographical fiction short, I'm Not Okay, which deals with fraught mother-daughter relationships, cultural differences, alcoholism, and first love. We talk about the importance of non-tragic queer stories, what it's like to costume design for Bruce Campbell, and the wisdom that life's going to happen. We can't change the big things, so it's important to change the little things. A note to listeners, this episode contains unbleeped swear words. So Samantha, welcome to Hearthside Salons. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. We met because of online filmmaker groups, and I was really inspired by when, when I saw what you had to say about your short film, um, I'm Not Okay. So I wanted to speak to you about that and about the roots, like how our roots play roles in the narratives that we be, you know, become interested in telling. Because what I love about one of the things you said is that it's autobiographical fiction. Yes. So um, can you tell me a little bit about like what, what, what your childhood was like, where you grew up, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And, for sure. So, um, yeah, for me, I guess all my writing ends up sort of being autobiographical fiction. You know, I think I took the write what you know to heart <laughs> growing up, but, um, I grew up in New York and, um, in a split like household, my mom is Cuban from Cuba. So I'm first generation wow. on that side. And my dad is like a mix of all the Anglo-Saxon things that you can be, um, and in a washed out way, like I have no idea when they got here, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I grew up between the two homes and my relationship with my mother was tenuous and difficult and crossed the border and lines of healthy. And, um, so growing up with that, uh, definitely obviously inspired the film <laughs> and the difficult relationships and sort of trying to understand where toxicity begins and also where cultural differences kind of um, intertwine with that because some things can just be that cultural aspect of like Mm -hmm. us being a Cuban family and some things can obviously cross into, oh no, this is just an unhealthy relationship. And I also knew like for the queer side of things, I always knew I was like bisexual when I was a kid um, growing up. and, And then that sort of, as I, you know, learned more about myself and went to college and and just like learned more about gender identity and gender social constructions um I realized I was pansexual because the binary of this male and female gender that's given to you before you're even born with blue and pink and footballs and ballet and a lot of pressure is put on you before you're even a person um to sort of be something and so when I kind of blew my mind with that in college um I realized I was pansexual and then I realized I was queer and then we've gotten to where I am now (laughs) on this journey. And I, and so, you know, I think that the fiction part of it is that I get to go back and sort of add in these 
non-tragic queer details into the film because you know a lot of um, fiction films that we have that we love are also very queer tragic stories. Yes, um, which is a problem because it yes. doesn't have to be a tragedy. Um, nor does it always have to be about coming out or being the side funny gay character or yes. just all of these like tropes that I don't want um, to be the only narrative, you know, because it's so uh, pinpointed and usually through a lens of, you know, cis or straight people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of where I came from and then why I, I wove, you know, fiction into the autobiographical bits. I did. I really love something you said about like that. The story isn't about queer tragedy. It's it's and and that is so much what we see. It seems like you know if you've got a majority of white cisgender heteronormative um, storytellers at the helm and in positions of power, that that's you know relationally that's the only way they can yes. see. Oh, someone who's not like me. Oh, they went through all this stuff. We need to talk yes. about it. Where it's yeah. like. I'm, I'm okay. I'm glad you have a queer character, but can it, can maybe it be the lead and not it, you know, not be a support, not the best friend, like you yes. were saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's also like yes, of course, we want to show the things that those people go through and like things I've gone through, and um, it's not to disregard or disrespect that journey, but it's also like there's a lot of joy (laughs) and there's so much joy with figuring out who you are and, and the, you know, the problems come from, you know, the way that the system is built, not Mm -hmm. because of who you are. And I think that gets lost in a lot of the translations of the films where it's like, Oh, it's like, they're gay. So life is hard. No, life is hard because of the way that the system is built uh, for that kind of, you know, for that person, not the other way around. So yeah. We, we want to show that but in a, in a much more realistic light, I think. Yeah. It's, it's realistic and it's hopeful. And I think that's yeah. what I really enjoyed about your film is that it's the centering is, is it is about the mother daughter relationship and the romantic relationship. It's not about, Oh, because she's queer, she's got this stuff going on. It, and it's just like, that's just one sort of small like yeah. aspect of it. And I thought, Oh, that was really a lovely way to handle that. Thank you. And I love that you um, you talked about uh, with the fiction of the autobiographical stuff, you were able to sort of rewrite like a happy ending. Yeah. And showing these these two young girls in, you know, a happy, healthy, positive, like they're great for each other. Yes, absolutely. I definitely think it was important for me too for the film to end on a note of, you know, them still being together through all of the issues that may be going around them. But, you know, you have that like shot at the end with them playing footsie still under the table. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so we know they're still together. They're, <clears throat> they may be going through a lot, but it's not going to like be the end of their relationship, even if there's these other pressures in their life that are, mm-hmm. you know, taking uh, time and space. Yeah. And I also really like that it's ambiguous with the, you know, was she safe in her own household? Was she not safe? Was she, t- you know, we really don't know. Like, yeah. it, we really don't know what, what to find safe and what the culture, what's cultural and what's actual and what's, you know, what, what the story was. So was that like, what, what was, tell me about that choice to do. Yeah, that. that was the hardest thing for me um, was that I didn't want anyone to be vilified 
like that was very important. I didn't want either parent to be like this blatant, obvious, mm-hmm. bad character. Or, you know, like I, I mean, I, I literally have a um, bachelor's in psychology and have studied, you know, social um, psychology a lot. And it's, it's just really important for me to show my characters as like full people. And that um, doesn't erase, you know, the, the problems that they might bring into a relationship. But I think it's important to show every part of them and not just make these like black and white characters. Cause that's not mm-hmm. really, you know, 90% of the time in real life, that's not how it is. Yeah. Um, and so that was a hard line because I didn't want to downplay that she was being clearly like emotionally abused. It's a problematic household. Obviously there's like alcoholism involved with her mom and, and, there's just like things that I didn't want to just be like sweeping it under the rug and say like, Oh yeah, it's fine. You know, but at the same time, it's complicated. It's complicated by the fact that she is, um, you know, dealing with a debilitating, uh, illness and she, the mom Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, she is also raising this child on her own and there are cultural differences for how they interact and, um, what's expected of you as a kid in a Cuban family rather than maybe in an American family. So I really wanted all that to be shown um, to kind of get across that like these are really complicated relationships and it doesn't negate that it's not maybe a safe space for her, but it also doesn't mean that this person, this mother is just like a terrible person that we should write off for like mm-hmm. the rest of you know her life. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And I liked that um you went in directions I wasn't expecting. You know, I kept thinking, oh, the mother is like this. So now this is going to happen. And it never was the, the place that you went. So oh, I, I really- you. That means a lot to me, honestly, because I, I hate predictability. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I always appreciate the uh, attempt to capture more three-dimensionality in people. So, you know, I'm the daughter of an alcoholic and- was you know it is it's very tricky to walk that line and to understand it from the outside as you know you you find your place inside of it and then from the outside you know it could look completely absolutely not how you're experiencing it absolutely uh my you know the mother character is very true to life like it's almost completely accurate for me uh my mother also she she had rheumatoid arthritis since she was seven years old which leads to a lot of you know complications and medication that she got addicted to because she needed it you know so it's like um an alcohol to help cope with that and the mental illness issues that she had probably you know that stemmed from her physical illness and um so I, I, from the inside as a child, it's confusing because this person can be your best friend, especially in a single parent household and can Mm -hmm. be your closest, you know, person to you. And it's, and that's the most significant relationship you have, you know, for the beginning of your life. But at the same time, that doesn't equal that it's a healthy relationship or that it's not doing damage. Even if it's also giving you support, it can also be taking from you and, it's so hard to, to see that outside perspective. And I'm sure from the outside, it looked very different <laughs> than mm. how it felt being in, in it because, you know, people on the outside will only see either the blinding positivity that she might yeah. have included or the complete, you know, negative aspects. And, and usually it's the other way. They, they'll see the whole happy, positive everything because you cover it up and but then, you know, the darker side is also hard for 
uh, any kid to kind of reckon with um, and the guilt from that. So I think that's what I wanted to show too. in that last one of those last scenes between the mother and the daughter was the guilt and the confliction, you know, between like, I love my mom. I want this to, Mm -hmm. I want this relationship to be safe, but that doesn't make it safe. Yes. Yes. I, there's so much with mother daughter relationships, no matter what. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I, in, in our case, my mom was definitely, um, it was ever the outside was the very rosy, perfect view. Yep, and so when my sister and I got to this point of starting to realize, Hey, wait a minute, this isn't okay. And we would try to talk about it more, my sister, more than me, she saw it first and experienced it first. People didn't believe us. Oh yeah. And they were like, why would you say that? She's a wonderful person. We all know she's amazing. And we were like, oh boy, we're the bad, we're the villains here because we can't win now. Absolutely. Um, I, that was like middle school. (laughs) That's all of my middle school because you're, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I I don't even have the ability to like diagnose, obviously my mother's psychologically, but there's stuff going on there. But like when friends would come over, you know, they would just become the sun, you know, like the center mm-hmm. of the universe. And my mom would just treat them like the princess on high. And and that wasn't a bad thing, but it made it confusing later when I would try and talk to them about the, the shit that was real, that was going on in yeah. my household and trying to get support. And they'd be like, what? Yeah. Your mom is amazing. And your mom mm-hmm. like always has like the best, like, you know, support and snacks and like taking care of us and always like being, and it's true. That's all true. But it yeah. then, you know, they might not believe what's going on behind the scenes, which perhaps was a true manipulation on their part, or that was just my mom's personality. Truthfully, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think it was more just her, her innate personality, whether or mm-hmm. not that was mentally ill, but like, I don't think it was even something she did on purpose. I think she just turned a light on when she was around other people, mm-hmm. which my just mom. made things more complicated. <laughs> yeah. No, my mom was the same. I think she really enjoyed that sort of performative yeah. motherhood, mothering when it was a stage like that, when it was guests, when it was other people. Um, Absolutely. You know, I don't think she calculated, oh, this is going to make it hard for her to say anything exactly. bad about me later. But exactly. Oh, gosh. So much there. <laughs> There's so much. Know. And, and I know, I mean, and we don't, I don't know if, if you're okay talking about this, but I know that she passed during yeah. the filming or right after the filming. It was, uh, it was during, uh, well, she was sick during and yeah, well, I don't even know where to start. She was, um, she was obviously sick. Like I told you already, she was sick for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, but the older she got and she wasn't old when she passed, but the older she got, and the more depressed she got, the more she leaned in to the medication mm. and a lot of overdoses happened. Mm. And so there was a lot of like me going, her recuperating sort of this pattern. And so when she got sick again and was in the hospital while I was filming, I didn't at first take it as seriously maybe as I should have because mm. it was like the millionth time on you know on right. my end and I was trying to I mean it was not a good timing <laughs> not yeah no production stressful like, enough I'm literally like in the high school that day and I'm filming um the the scenes in the, the office with the child protective services and I get a call from the hospital that my mom is probably gonna die and that I need to come down to Florida and I was in Massachusetts where I am right now. And mm. so I'm like, 
hiding away in a library crying as a 27 year old adult as, and it's like high school is like happening it's like mm. the most of bullshit that like life could deal you know any person because it was like I was 16 again and crying in the library and but I had to finish the day I had to go yeah finish I mean it was really hard to get that school oh um, I can't imagine I was when I saw that I'm like wow yeah I had a really wonderful crew like shout out to Brandon Powers for going to Brockton High School and getting us that school thank you Brockton but um so I had to finish that day so we finished filming we were almost at the end of filming and literally like I just flew down right after um and I was there for about a month because wow. it was a big up and down. Like I thought she was going to get better. She seemed to be getting better. We were making plans to move her up here into assisted living and kind of hopefully start over. And then they came in and talked to me about hospice. And I think she was on hospice for like 25 seconds before she died. Um, it all happened like so slowly and then so quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, it was rough, <laughs> you know, it was very rough. Um, I had to edit from, from my computer in Florida separately. So like my editor was one place, my colorist was in another place. Mm. Um, and then also I was packing up my mom's belongings. I mean, it was like a probably a state of shock, you know, for yeah. quite a while. Um, that summer honestly was not that bad because I was in a state of shock. Everything kind of hit me fall to winter once you get through, cause I had so much to keep me going to get, have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. And then when you finish all those things you have to do. Sure. The grief is just like, Oh, now you have to do that. Yeah. Here I am. I'm waiting yeah. for you. Yeah. So, your story is so similar to, to mine with yeah. that, you know, my mom, same thing. Like she was in and out of the decline was like excruciatingly slow. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, it was hospice so fast. Was, it felt like it wasn't happening. You know, it was just like, it was too fast. And at first it was too slow, but I guess that's sort of, that is what it is. You know, I mean, that's kind of a great metaphor for how how death is and how you can't ever prepare or really handle for it. It just happens. And then you're just like, this is it. Yeah. Well, so psychology, you have psychology degree when, so in the middle of pursuing that when did you know that you were a storyteller and that you wanted to be a filmmaker yeah um so I have like writing even though I'm a terrible writer in the way that I don't write enough like not like literally my writing is terrible okay I was gonna say wait a minute <laughs> no the practice of writing is right. so difficult for me and like not to <laughs> sorry I shouldn't say this but Stephen King has like this quote where he's like write every day like and that's paraphrasing but he's like if you're a writer you write every day and like that's great maybe he has no mental illness fantastic for him I love that but I I always like used to think of that like and in my anxiety brain I'm like oh I don't write every day I can't even write you know I've already failed yeah I've already failed so like don't don't worry about that pressure no offense to Stephen King who's like super you know popular and he's done a few things yeah he's doing just fine um thankfully he'll never hear this because I'm not advertising it to him but like I couldn't write every day. I can't write every day. And I just feel like the people out there who are struggling to write, like, it's okay. You're not alone. Um, But I, so I've always, I've always written like that was just, and I've always been interested probably because of, you know, my growing up Mm. in interpersonal relationships and, and then the queer that I became, the more I was interested in like social construction and like, Mm 
how we also function in society and, and, and then the interpersonal relationships on like a much grander scale and why our brains function the way we do, because again, of my upbringing. So, so when I went to college, I always knew I was going to study English. I mean, that was just a thing. Like if yeah, you want to write, you study English. <laughs> like that's just, yeah. So in high school, I took all the AP Englishes, you know, I just did all the stuff. So the college I ended up at, because I transferred a, a bit, but had this degree called English Editing, Writing, and Media. The longest title. Oh. And it's really great because it's like, if you don't want to do literature and you don't want to do just creative writing and you want to learn how to copy edit and also write, it's fantastic. So I was yeah. doing that, but then I also really wanted to study psychology. So I, I dual degreed in psychology so that it would inform my writing. That was the plan. I wanted to be able to write people and really mm -hmm. understand why, <laughs> why are they the way they are? Why do they do what they do? You know, I wanted to know about the bystander effect. I wanted to know about um, what, how, why do we respond the way we do in, in certain situations? So, so those, that's where those two married. And then when I was, so I, I, I knew I wanted to write, but how and why? And I'd already always loved film. And I think as a kid in my head, it was like, well, then you have to act. Like, if you love film, you have to be an actress. Like, that's the only way to do it. The only I, job. I don't know why I thought this. I'm not an actress. I tried that. And I don't, that's not for me. But I always loved it. I grew up watching like old movies and so much TV. So then I, when I decided to not go to grad school for psychology, but to go for film after being in the film club in undergrad and like realizing, oh, I love this. I think in my essay, I talked about how like I'm sort of the cable guy because I definitely grew up with like the TV as my second parent and mm -hmm. like staying home from school just so I could watch the nanny and, the, and like Golden Girls and Friends and just be like, cool, this is my family. Like this is raising me. That's totally normal. Yeah. And it's not normal, <laughs> it turns out. But but then I realized as I got queerer and, you know, in touch with being Cuban that like, oh, television is very whitewashed and very straight and very cishet and not telling a lot of stories. And also yeah. even worse than that, not just centering on those stories, but they're actually, you know, being very like detrimental mm -hmm. to queer people and, and not <laughs> white people and fat people. I mean, I'm a fat person. So I'm saying that as like, but you know, that's fine. Yeah. Like there's so many yeah. things to be. And I love friends and I, but then I tore it apart in my, um, you know, essay to get into grad school because it's like, I love the show and I respect the writing. I'll always respect how funny it is and how iconic, mm -hmm. but also damn, was that show homophobic and transphobic and fat phobic and, mm -hmm. and not what New York city looks like. I, no. I don't understand this. Um, it, it's weird how normal it all was. Like yeah. it, I never at the time thought twice about it, that everyone on the either. show was white. Entire life. And, I've seen friends like a thousand times. Yeah. Every episode. Yeah. It's like, and it never even dawned on me. Everyone is white. Everyone is straight. Everyone is slim. Everyone can afford an apartment. An apartment in New York, with which a, is already you and a balcony. Okay. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, I've, been, I've lived in Manhattan, and my apartment was basically the size of this room. Yeah, I lived in Washington Heights, and I fought tooth and nail and had, like, five people in a two-bedroom. Yeah. I mean, and I, oh, then I, it wasn't great. Um, so that's why I was like, I want to make, I mean, what I really want to do is be a showrunner. That's, like, my dream. I want to make shows. I want to make shows that, you know, center around an actual diverse cast, but also crew and writer's room. 
um, because that's really important. Even a lot of shows I love right now that have really great casts. Well, the cast members have like spoken out about like, but the writers aren't. And we need that, you know, right. you're, you're failing your cast if you don't have it in the room. Yeah. Um, Cause you need those experiences to inform that. writing. Yes. And that's so important. That's one of the, you know, the things that we talk about in our, in our teaching and that I, that I work with, you know, one of our great alumni is a Japanese American writer. And she, she's talked a lot about being in writer's rooms as the only person of color, as the writing room is trying to write something about, oh, there's, you know, we're going to throw a black boyfriend in. And she's like, you know, oh, cause it's, you know, it'll upset the white dad. Oh, and they're like, that's the only, right, right. And it's like the only option also is that there's the, you know, oh, the rest of the cast is white. So this character needs to be black. And she as an Asian woman is like, hi, there's yeah. other options. There's yeah, other. we don't have to redo Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Like, yes. I'm, I'm good on that. Thank you. Yes. And so she's really talked a lot about how just having those voices in the room is so important. Um, and and we've talked a lot about it, too, in our classes. It comes up where people are like, well, I want to write this, but I'm not that. What do I do? And, you know, we've talked a lot about getting a sensitivity yeah. reader or partnering with a writer. Yes. Who is that? Partner. Please partner. Yes. It does drive me absolutely bonkers when, like, I went to grad school with a bunch of people with anyway, but I went to grad school and one of the like white cishat guys kept writing this pilot that wasn't even bad. It's not that it was bad and he wasn't like a bad guy, but there's lots of people who aren't bad, who aren't doing enough to, you know, incorporate, but he was just making this like LA Latino story. And it was like, okay, it's not a bad story, but it's not your story. And you don't even like have any sense of this story. You're not even, he was like a wealthy. And when I say like a wealthy white kid, I mean like presidential connections. Like there was no reason, like you, you, if you're going to make this story, please, 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 please bring in someone who actually has lived this experience, who can be a co-writer with you, you know, produce produce that story instead of being like the showrunner of that story. Don't just take it. You can't just yeah. have it. <laughs> like, please yeah. don't take that story away. Well, yeah, and it's an opportunity to in to incorporate, to yeah. be inclusive instead of like, yeah, I, I know all the things. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that um, the way you're talking about marrying psychology and writing because I'm always talking about how writing is therapy. Like, oh it, yeah. It, and we become oh, yeah. self-psychologists. film is not just all about me. I like therapeutic. <laughs> like it definitely is. It's definitely catharsis. Yeah. And trying to relate to others who, you know, have gone through that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a way of kind of exercising our own demons. But also for me, it's become such a great way of understanding people. Yeah. You know, because that was the same. I had this similar experiences in high school where I was like, I don't understand why everyone is mean what if I study some psychology, then I'll yes. learn why, like, yes. and I'll figure out what makes them tick. And so I feel like people who are interested in psychology or interested in what makes people tick are natural storytellers, writers. Yes, that does. Yeah. That, I mean, it definitely makes sense to me, obviously. <laughs> and if you weren't curious about what makes people tick, I would be worried that you were a writer. You know, like if I see writers like that, that are yeah. just like, no, I just need to tell my thing like this. <laughs> this white guy that you were talking about maybe, maybe yeah. was just like yeah I know a thing I'm gonna tell it and you're like oh mm. I mean yeah no not no no you definitely want I mean I think a deeper understanding 
of yourself, your characters and the people around you can only help. I mean, it, it's yeah. definitely not going to hurt. So. Yeah. Um, I actually took a course at one point about understanding how we work and psychology stuff. Yeah. And, and there was a guy in the course that said, I'm afraid to take this course because I'm afraid it'll negatively impact my writing. Oh. And I was like, how is that the leap you made? Like, oh. isn't understanding more about how you work and how things, how the brain works and how humans work only going to make it better. Yeah. Like that was a very strange. This is the person who's afraid to have like the stereotypes burst that bubble for them. Like, they're I think like that's oh, funny. but now I can't do my tropey tropes. Yep. I think I that's know exactly better. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that knowledge unlocks like the right way to write characters and makes the boxes like disappear and you shouldn't just yeah. like use people to be like a trope or a plot point. Oh, well, I guess we really, should do this. <laughs> yeah, we really are. And I feel like that that's, you know, we're in that reckoning right now of people yeah. finally realizing they have to let go. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. And I think some people are like embracing it with both hands and some people are scared and well, I can't say anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's like, yes, you can. Yeah. One of the best shows still on television is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I always like use that when people are like, cancel culture, it's terrible and you can't be yeah. funny anymore. And it's like, really? Because It's Always Sunny is really fucking great and really funny and can say whatever they want, basically. And because, But you know, the thing is they do it with knowing what they're doing and yes. they do it with like awareness and they're making fun of themselves and they're making fun of those stereotypes that they're bringing to screen rather than using them as you know a cliche or a plot point or something to like be thrown away or be at the butt of a joke it's like they are using that as the whole like oh shit what's wrong with people and that's what's great so yes you can you can do whatever you want you just have to be self-aware and don't make you know don't hurt like the victim of a joke or don't yeah you know put out things that are just to be hurtful and and for a laugh you know do it with some self-awareness it's not that hard yeah, I think that's what's it's it's accountability culture and yeah. and it's it's having curiosity about other people and and the the, the spirit to, that you bring to it. Is are you coming exactly. in a spirit of kindness and curiosity or are you just trying to be mean so that exactly. you feel better about yourself? Yeah. Absolutely. Cuz that like that the intent shines through no matter exactly. what thought you put into it your intent shines through. Exactly. Another thing about the film that I thought was really special was the music and that you <laughs> actually managed to get some really awesome music so can you talk about that oh my god yes that was like I'm so grateful um to all of the bands that that lent me their music for this film and let me license it because obviously like pop punk emo music was really important to like that time period and also my characters and I think it's another like I was making a joke earlier about like leaning on tv and movies but another thing you know you lean on especially in that time that like you know as part of your foundation as a person is music and it's huge the aesthetic of the film so I spent a lot of time like joining Facebook groups and like finding all the indie bands I could and like sending them my script and just like trying really hard to be like this is this is what I'm doing um I don't have money <laughs> I'm in grad school but I really would love you know to work with you and collab with you on this and thankfully they liked my script because I am so grateful of that because I don't I mean, I'm, again, I cannot say thank you enough to these bands who like let me license their music for free. Um, but they liked the script and I think they understood like what I was going for and how crucial the music is. And so we got these fantastic bands. I mean, just fantastic. 
And I have a really great creative producer and my editor on this film too, who is Alex DiVincenzo. And he has been working in like the pop punk scene for, I mean, probably over 10 years at this point, not to date us, but um, he wrote for like a lot of magazines and, and filmed a lot of um, bands growing up. So he had some pretty great connections and was lovely and also got us like Hawthorne Heights to give us a song, which is huge for us. Um, so cool. So grateful. So, so like, I, I like, he called me and I like had a panic attack when he told me. <laughs> like I had, like, I had to sit down. Um, it was, it. it was just so wonderful. So yeah, I, the music was so crucial and to like, we could not have made this film without it. I mean, we just couldn't have, you know what I mean? It wouldn't do the same movie. No, it's so clearly part of who she is. Yeah. And, and that, and at that age, especially your music is so your identity. Oh yes. That it's so important. And I just, I really admire that because my, my last short film, I was like, oh, I really want this one band to do the music. And I just kept getting told they will never do it. They will never give you the music. Don't even try you can't like, and so I was eventually just dissuaded from even trying to reach out to them. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, who am I? Like, they're not going to care about this little film and you know, no shade. Like I got an incredible con composer and the music is amazing, yeah. but you know, I had fallen in love with my temp track, which was, you know, a track by a band and, you know, just didn't even try to get it. And I just yeah. wonder like, what if, what if I had like reached out to them and gone, listen, <laughs> Listen, this would I mean understand so much. how you feel because my title track is My Chemical Romance song. And let me tell you who's not in the soundtrack. My Chemical Spoiler, Romance. Spoiler, they're not in it. You know, but if they even watched the movie, I would die. Like I would just be, that would be it. I'm good. Wrap me up. Like we don't need to continue. No more films need to be made because I mean, it would, my literal wallet is right here. And I just, I mean, <laughs> like I, I cannot, it. I will never be not 13 years old. Um, yeah. But, you know, so if <laughs> I have tried, I have tried to figure out and I've met them when I was 13, my stepsister, her dad drove their tour bus. Like the shirt that Selena wears in the movie is actually Gerard Way's shirt. Like oh that, God. like I stole it off the tour bus when I was 13 years old. Good job. Old, Cause you know, girls be gross when you're Good 13. job, kiddo. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> but like the, they are ingrained in the film, even if they <laughs> haven't chosen to be. That's um, amazing. So all I want is for them to watch it. So I understand that because I'm so, so, so thrilled. We have like, you know, Punchline and um, it's Teeth and Eat Defeat and Hawthorne Heights. And we have so many more amazing bands and could not get a better soundtrack. Like I want the CD in my car. Nice. But if, of course, of course, in my head, like I'm not okay. I should be playing at the end of this movie, you know, like or in the movie at some point. I mean, oh my goodness. So I just hope they get to watch it one day. Like if, I can, somehow, if I can somehow keep sending and just be yeah. like, just watch my short because it's, you are integral to like my survival and my life. Um, oh. That would be incredible. You know, that's a thing that I've realized as, as time has gone by in my own career. I don't, yes, awards and things would, would of course be nice. But yes. what I'm more interested in is if artists that I love and respect would be moved by my art. Oh, that's everything. Like <laughs> yeah. that is everything. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. 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 I think I could like live off that for years, you know, just like that would inspire me so much be like a fountain of inspiration because that's yeah. just, I mean, that's the dream. I think you yeah. get so inspired and so much uh, support somehow and creativity from, you know, these bands or movies or uh, directors or actors you never meet. And 
to be able to make that connection back would be just, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's why everyone loves that video where Jennifer Lawrence meets Jack Nicholson because yes, I love to see a celebrity freak out about another celebrity because it's so cute. It reminds you that like everyone has a person where you're like, you know. Yeah, I'm not a star. I'm just a kid. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We, I was thinking of uh, earlier in the, in the, in the pandemic, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart moderated a panel for Schitt's Creek and it was like, and, and they were freaking out that he was freaking out about how much he loved the show. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm just sitting there going, if Patrick Stewart loved anything I did, I would be, yeah. I'd be done. Yeah. You're good. I've done it. You're good. You have all of the recognition that you need. Like, that's yeah. the thing you're like, okay. Cause anytime you felt bad, you'd be like, well, Patrick Stewart yeah. believes in you. So yeah. maybe you need to get over that bad feeling today. Yeah, totally. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, so what's next for you? What are you working on? What's coming up? Oh man. Uh, well, I, so I do have this like sequel in mind for the short. Um, and I love my actresses so much. Um, Michelle Keolani Kakova and uh, Tia Kingley, like they're just both so incredible. And I, they're like my little muses and Aww. they're, they're just beautiful and fantastic. And um, I'm very excited to work with them again. Like I do think we will make the sequel at some point, which is fantastic. And it'll take place when they're um, older and in college and like kind of reconnecting and oh, I like a very that. different time for them, very different yeah. time for them. and more adult, which is kind of where I want to go with, you know, what I do as a showrunner anyway. So I think that will be great. Um, right now I've been costume designing a lot. Um, I just costume designed this film Black Friday which is uh, directed by Casey Tebow and starring uh, Bruce Campbell and Devin Sawa. And it comes out at, on Black Friday, probably. It's around Thanksgiving uh, next year. And it's a real fun horror comedy. And so I'm pretty excited for that. It's, it was a really good time. Um, I was, Robert I was. Kirkman did like all of the special effects, practical effects, makeup. And so that was like fantastic, <laughs> like getting to work with him. And Oh my God. I was, I was excited when I saw that on your, on your CV. Cause I'm a huge Bruce Campbell fan and have been oh, forever. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God, what oh, was that like? It was great to work with him. He was lovely. And like his big thing was like, I don't want to look like Ash. And I was like, oh no, you will not <laughs> look like Ash. Like, for leave it to me. Like, I promise that much. And There's so no think, boomstick t-shirt. You're going to. No, 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 no. Um, he is going to be, it's going to be fantastic. I don't like know how much I can say, so I won't say much, but he is going to look very much not Ash. And okay. I'm really excited for everyone to see him in this because it's, it's just an incredible like new character and it's going to be really fun. The whole film is just going to be so much fun and everyone was great to work with. Um, so that was fantastic. And, um, yeah, I'm about to, uh, key costume, a new movie that's coming out called the mothership, which is going to be a Netflix film. Um, Halle Berry is producing it and starting. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be great. And then, um, and then next for me is, I think, you know, hopefully moving out to LA soon and, and transferring my my career kind of making that next step. Cause I think it's about time, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm designing, which I love and I want to continue writing. And I would like, as I said, I want to be, you know, in a writer's room and there are not many here um, because that happens out there. So I need yeah. to kind of make that jump. So I think that's the next step for me. Well, you're very welcome. We'd be very happy to have you out here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, you know, pretty much just beautiful every day. We always, always, that's, we pay the beautiful weather tax, but not not as bad as you'd pay in New York and the weather's there is crap. So there you go. Yeah. 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 
Um, here's the thing. I don't like this one. Well, I'm a Wednesday Adams. So oh, I'm, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, know. you should live closer to the coast then, because then there's <laughs> the, um, there's June gloom, there's May gray, there's, you know, months of like, just these are like my cover. favorite little rhymes I've ever heard. Yeah. Gonna, you're going to want to be on the West side. Sounds good. Okay. I'll take taking notes. Uh, <laughs> sounds perfect. Well, but how did you, um, Oh, as you're doing psychology and writing and becoming a filmmaker, how did you also then pick up the designing and That's get to the point good. where you get to actually design for major things? Yeah. Like um, so I, so I went to Emerson for my film production master's degree because I'm all about like structure and learning and like, I don't have to just skip that step. So I think a lot of people can skip that step and like, I'm very happy for them. I wish I had that like audacity, but I don't. So I went that route. And uh, so while I was there, you know, you learn, which the good thing about it is you get to kind of learn it all, like you, you which makes you better at everything. The yes. more you understand each aspect of filmmaking, the better you are at whatever you go into, because yes. you can, you know, talk in the language you need to with your DP and you can understand what needs to happen for each department and um, give them what they need at the end of the mm -hmm. day or meet them in those needs. So uh, I ended up production designing. I, I kind of was production designing already in undergrad in that film club that I was talking about earlier. It just mm -hmm. happened. I don't really know how, but it just did. I think I just volunteered and then I liked it and I'm like, oh, that's fun. And production designing is sort of, I feel like it's sort of like the, like the visual writing that can't fit into the script mm -hmm. because you get to do this like mise-en-scene that fills in all of the things that you can't talk about in the script because there's no time to explain like why this person has like a hundred you know books in the corner or you know like why they are a mess I mean it like fills in the character development yeah. and so I loved that and then when I continued that in college and then after college um a lot of low budget things like do not budget for a costume designer they're just right. like yeah just bring your own clothes man that's fine no it's not fine it's not fine do not let the actors bring their own clothes without even talking about it first. Like at least yeah. have someone email them and be like, these are the things we want. Send me photos, you know? Yeah. And actors are awesome. Like for the most part, they are so excited to do the, the best they can for their character. So if you interact with them, they will often be like, here's what I have. And here's what I got. And do you want me to run out to Savers or Goodwill and get something? And I'm like, no, 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 don't spend your own money, but like love your enthusiasm. So I would just sort of start taking on costume designing because I was like, someone needs to do that. <laughs> so I'll just do both. It's fine. And so I just started doing both. Like I did this YouTube show that's out right now. It's been making the festival rounds called The Naturals, which is like a queer mafia female fronted film. It's awesome. Amazing. Uh, series, not film. And um, so I production design and costume design that. And then the ball just started rolling. I don't know. I just after that, I ended up key costuming a Christmas film. And then I sort of landed my first designer role on last night in Rosy, which was just at the uh, independent film festival of Boston where my short was. Um, and it just kept going. And then somehow now I'm in the costume design union. And, um, I just like it. You know, I, I, it's, it's one of those things where you just sort of fall into it, but then you're like, Oh, I enjoy this. And I love getting, you know, it's fun. You get to get into the nitty gritty of a character so it's mm -hmm. like, if I, if I'm not writing this film, if I'm not directing it, at least I have like this huge connection to each character and get to like fill in some things about their personality and, you know, sort of uh, help the director get to where they want to go for the audience for each individual person, which was really fun to do for Black Friday. Oh, I love that. And I, you talked to so many actors who are like, when I 
put the clothes on. I finally yes. like it clicked. I became yes. that person. So like that is so yes. so important. It's so important that they feel like happy and like safe in their clothes mm-hmm. and comfortable and yeah, because you want them to be able to do whatever they need to do to get into that character. And it's 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 a nice way to be able to collaborate with all those different parts, props and the director and the writer and the actor and like kind of just be part of that like vision and bring it to mm. the to the final place. So it's just a it's kind of a place I've just started to fit in, I guess. I love it. I love that so much. So given the journey that you've gone through, given all the stuff, the, the ups and downs and as far as you've come, what would you say to your 13 year old self if you were Ooh. facing them now? This is like the dumbest answer, <laughs> but I did not go to Warp Tour in 2005. And that is what I should have done. I know that sounds crazy. And also, I don't know how I would have made it happen. But if I could go back, I would be like, listen here. Warp Tour 2005 is like My Chemical Romance, All American Rejects, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco. It's everyone you're going to want to see, Paramore, the year that they come out and the year that it's like the only time that you're in. It's it's monumental. It's like my Woodstock. Like I didn't go to my Woodstock and I'll never get to go back. And it yeah. will never happen again. And if I, this is not great advice, but like life's going to happen. I couldn't have changed all the big things. So what yeah. I could do is be like, you are going to fucking warp tour 2005. Please go, just go. And it'll be so good. And the rest of your life, you'll know that you were there. You'll remember it. You'll have it. So that's, that's what I'm going to, you can't change the big things. So I, I would love that I could. And I love that. I do. Yeah. It's, I love that. Cause it's about, you know what? don't forget to enjoy things that matter yeah. to you because at the end of the day, that's all you, you have left. Is Exactly. Exactly. That's, you got to make those moments matter. So that's what I would say to myself. That's so great. Oh my God. Thank you for that. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to share about your, the experience of making this film? Anything I didn't touch on? I have like two edits to things I said, because I always like think, I'm like, I definitely like call both my actresses queer, which I don't think is fair. I don't know if Michelle Kalani and I said her last name wrong, uh, Kavaka, not Kakova, is queer. So I don't want to label her that way. Um, I just was like talking fast. So I group things quickly. Sure. So I just want to like say that edit. I think those are the two edits, the last name and the queerness, putting that out there because fair. it's important to like not do that to anyone. And then also Robert Kurtzman was the, you know, practical makeup effects he does not like when he's called the wrong thing because that's totally fair. Everyone should be having their correct label. So I'm trying to make sure I say everything correctly. Those are my only two things. It is that awareness. And, and, I, and I, I have anxiety. Can you tell? So I remember things and then I want to like fix it. So that's, I'll say that too. It, it's uh, you know, mental health awareness month, I think. Yeah. So take care of yourself, people get therapy. It's okay. It's fine to do. Shouldn't so- be a stigma. Nope. I agree. It's so important. And it's, and that's another thing that I'm really glad is becoming, you know, normalized and destigmatized. It's like, let's talk about what your need for your, your head and your heart to work well. Exactly. So yeah, that's what I would say. I'd say, go get yourself the therapy you want, you know, (laughs) it's okay. Make sure you go to, go to your, go to your own personal work tour, whatever that may be for you. Oh my God. Yes, please do. And, and get yourself the care you need. Yes. And write to your voice. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. This was awesome, Samantha. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. And when I move, let's get coffee or something. Yeah, please. Seriously, it would be super fun to actually talk in person. Absolutely. Thank you. 
next time on Hearthside Salons, the grandson of a renowned bolero and mambo vocalist from Tabasco, Mexico, Azru Sierra grew up in LA with music in his veins. His pursuit of jazz and world music has led to amazing pieces that get to the heart, address social justice issues, and get folks up on the dance floor. It's also led to Grammys as a lead vocalist and trumpet player for Ozo Matli. Being a cultural ambassador for the U.S. State Department and performing for the Obamas, we'll talk about his creative journey and the stories he conveys through music. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.